I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why does making friends as an adult feel so What hard? should I wear on a first date? What the date? hell is a formal? But that Why hookup was not good. So what do I want my life to look like in five years? We, we want, want to know, know too. Since 2012, the Every Girl has been an online destination to help women around the world achieve the life of their dreams. Now, we're excited to bring you the same inspiring content with the Every Girl podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Every Girl podcast. Emma, how are we doing today? We're doing well. It's been a busy week. I have been hard at work on the Valentine's Day gift guide. So my head is in Valentine's world. Oh my God. Yes. Which I am so excited to see for our audience. You know, Emma as our wonderful podcast assistant, but she also works on the editorial team. She's a great writer. Actually, Emma, you know what we have to talk about. Okay. I've actually been dying to talk to you about this in person. Emma wrote this awesome piece about how social media is damaging her mental health. It's called Social media is ruining my mental health. Here's what I'm doing about it. So you guys can look it up and read it. We'll link it in the show notes as well. It was so oh, freaking so good. good. I know I told you over Slack, but I, I have to talk about it. There were so many amazing points. So like give our audience a little spiel about it because I want to give a little preview and a little tease. Okay. Since we're talking well, about it. I mean, I know the headline is social media is ruining my mental health, but like social media has been ruining my mental health since the second I downloaded this trip when I was 14. Um, But I've been questioning my relationship with social media since early 2021. So I've been doing this for three years. I will keep social media off my phone during the week and then re-download it during the weekend and then delete it again, which I think I've said on the podcast. The article turned out to be a roast of social media. I mean, I don't feel like I have mixed feelings about it because I think it's necessary. I'm not one of those people who is like, you don't need social media. I think you do to an extent, but I think that you should be very careful with your relationship to it and specifically not even to the content you're consuming. That's your problem, in my opinion, and your algorithm's problem, but to the amount of time you are spending on social media. So yeah, social media sort of makes me feel like I have a hangover after I use it for enough time. So I wrote about how I would rather scroll on a Saturday morning than I would on a Thursday morning when I need to go to work. And I just, I treat it like it's an addictive substance. Because it is. I thought that was such a good point when you said that about, you know, I would rather have a glass of wine on a Friday night rather than a Wednesday morning. So why would I give myself those same boundaries of like scroll through Instagram laying in bed on a Saturday than on a Thursday when I'm trying to work. You know, we give ourselves these boundaries with every other thing in our life that's addictive or that's not great for us. But social media is the one that people struggle to set boundaries with. I think that'll change in the coming years. You think people will set more boundaries? I think people will start to set more boundaries, but I don't know. We'll see. 
I hope so. I feel like as people more and more are realizing how it's damaging their lives and their mental health, I hope that more boundaries become the norm. I also love the point that you made about like going back to more longer form content and how when we're spending less time on social media, we have more time to listen to podcasts, shout out, personal plug. I mean, not to be like this whole article's an ad for like, it's an ad for reading. It's an ad for reading. Yeah. But I thought that was, oh my God, wait, I have to quote my favorite line. I've told you this, this line deserves a Pulitzer Prize. In the attention economy, cognitive health is wealth and long form content is a kale salad. I mean, it's true. That is an iconic line. I've heard a lot of people say we're witnessing the death of long form. It's like, no, we're not. We're just choosing to consume short form. Long form content is still there and you can still read it and listen to it and it's getting better Use an article we can choose a podcast interview we can choose a 30 minute youtube video over quick scrolls yeah and i mean not to say that you should cut out quick scrolls altogether but i think when i started to implement this i was doing zoom school i would be in class scrolling through instagram And my attention span was just absolutely shot. And so when I started setting these very strict boundaries with social media, I was able to like sit through a Zoom class without going to an entirely different website or I could sit down and do my work for an hour, which is something I had been incapable of doing because I was just scrolling all the time. I think acting like our attention span isn't important is a mistake that will come back to bite us. So true. I think people are like, yeah, duh, I know social media is not good for my mental health, but mostly it's because people are thinking the comparison game. It's not just about comparison. It's not just about what you're consuming, like you said, but it's the fact that all of our attention spans are shrinking. And then we're also spending that time rather than consuming things that are like expanding our knowledge, our happiness, our mood. It's things that are detracting from it. Also, the other thing that you mentioned in this article that like really made me think, not to go on this whole Mm -hmm. tangent about this article, but I just love it so much, how there are ways to use technology and apps and your phone that encourages you that are, as you call it, pro-social social media. Like it's like the dating apps, it's texting, FaceTiming, things like that, that it's encouraging you to foster real life connection rather than this like virtual over the computer through likes and comments and things the end goal with those apps are to get off of your phone rather than to spend more time on it which is the goal of instagram and tiktok yeah honestly when i was writing this i was thinking a lot about do you remember pokemon go do i remember pokemon go obviously how it can encourage people to go outside even though it's on your phone Wait, that's fascinating. I think we need more stuff like that. Also, there's sort of a delineation with apps like Bumble, BFF, and dating apps. But I think specifically with friend ones, where before the pandemic, nobody actually uses that. Or like, this wouldn't help me actually make friends. And now I've made my best friends in Chicago through Bumble, BFF. Because it feels like almost the only way I know how to connect with people is sort of in this virtual way first and then moving to in-person. So I think we need more things like that where you're encouraged to meet people in your area, sit down and have a face-to-face conversation with someone instead of 
watching people's stories as if you're on FaceTime with them. The end goal, what you're trying to get out of it is real life connection. Yeah. We can use social media that way. I actually, weirdly enough, am today getting coffee with someone that reached out over DM. Good. I connected with you via DM. Oh my God, that's right. Back in the day. Obviously, it's a real catalyst. Totally. Which is why I don't advocate for getting rid of it entirely. Yeah. Well, I want a whole rant about it, but you can read my roast. Read her roast. From the every it honestly, it's also like not the normal opinion piece about social media. There were so many points that like really made me think. Oh, so, so glad. Ever go read it. It was so good. We just went on a nice little tangent. So let's yeah. get into Ask the Evergirl, Emma. What is this yes. week's question? This week's question is a juicy one. Love juicy. I've been seeing this guy for about two months and things have been going really well. We have amazing sex and good chemistry and have been on a few dates. Otherwise, mostly hanging out in our friend group, but acting very couple So I feel like it's more than a hookup, but I want to know what we are and where we're going. Is it too soon to ask him what we are? So we're DTRing in this episode. Yeah, the DTR talk. <laughs> Tell me your thoughts. I feel like you will go in more depth. Yeah, there are so many parts of this question that I want to dive into. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so many things. Wow. I'm trying to collect my thoughts. Okay. The first easy thing I'd say is that there's no such thing as too soon. It is your timeline. Nothing is too soon or too late. Are you ready to make the commitment? then it's not too soon, right? It's like, it's your timeline. It's not this other person's timeline that you're trying to guess where they are. It's your timeline. What do you want for this person's situation? Being two months in, this guy knows. Or they at least have like put you in the mental category of like hookup, friends with benefits. There's potential. I like you or I'm obsessed with you and I'm going to propose. (laughs) You know, he has an idea. I think that it can grow within categories. Like we've all been in the situation of, you know, we meet someone and we're like, yeah, they're cute. There's maybe some potential. But then we end up like dating them for five years. So we can shift within the categories. But by two months, this guy has an idea of what general category you're in for him. He has made up his mind about whether you're a hookup or there could be potential. He already knows. So you deserve to know, too. Definitely don't wait for him to say something. I feel like this is a mistake that so many people, especially women, unfortunately make. I have been in the position, and I know many friends who they want to be the cool girl, right? Like they want to go with the flow. Wanna so be they chill. don't want to, you want to be chill. So you don't want to be the one that's coming off like, oh my God, what are we? You want to be chill. And I, I get it, but I think it's more badass and also more attractive to know what you want. More importantly, It's not about whether or not they like you or whether or not they deem you worthy. It's about if you like them. And if they don't like you, whether or not you come off as cool girl or go with the flow girl, it won't change that. So you might as well just be vocal about what you want. To answer this person's question, the other thing I want to address is when this listener wants to ask him what we are. First of all, again, he doesn't define what you are, so you're not asking him anything. It's a mutual decision about whether or not you are compatible and interested in more. That's a mutual conversation. You're not asking him anything. You're having a conversation. And I think that also makes it less scary. Asking that cliche question of what are we, like, 
That is so ambiguous. Has anyone ever gotten a clear answer to this question? Don't say what are. I mean, also, like, I think I would be unable to seriously say that. Like, what are we, lol? (laughs) 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 Yeah. There's like anything that's more like real ways to phrase it. What would you say if someone asked you, what are we? My gosh, Josie, one time. (laughs) Tell me. One time somebody said to me the first night we met, they go, what's your vibe? And I was like, my vibe? I don't even know. Are you asking, like, are you asking me what I want? Like, it was. What did you answer? I would be like, I'm a Libra. I went, excuse me? It's trying to be this, like, I'm not asking the question. I'm just, like, checking the vibe. I can't even pretend to understand. I I, I don't know. I it's impossible for me to put myself in that headspace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, no, we shouldn't. We what's shouldn't. What's your vibe? Yeah. If someone asks, what's your vibe? Run. Run. <laughs> See, it's like yeah. anything where it's so vague, yeah. you're never going to get clarity. Don't ask, what are we? What are we doing? There's no directness in that question. And mm-hmm. so that makes it really impossible to get a clear answer. So, okay, there's like three ways that I would pose this conversation. And I'll tell you what I would do, but also I want to give options for people with like varying comfortability levels, mm-hmm. feeling various confidence levels in, in this situationship. The first level, if you really don't want to put yourself out there whatsoever, you don't want to give any hint that you like them or are interested in them, but you just want to have the vibe check. <laughs> Sorry to bring the vibe <laughs> check back. Trigger. Um, the easiest way to dip your toe in is through the safe sex route so it's like mentioning hey just so you know like i went without my doctor for like routine testing the other week i'm all good and i'm not sleeping with anyone else so i wanted to check where you were obviously the best case scenario is them being like oh yeah i'm not sleeping with anyone else either but they also might say i'm continuing to sleep with other people so i will continue to you know we'll have our safety plan in place and i will continue to whatever. If you are having sexual relations with anyone, this should be the most comfortable conversation. You should be having this conversation routinely, consistently. So if you're trying to dip your toe into, are they seeing other people or not? That's the easy basic layer. But you want to know, like what you're trying to get out of this is you're trying to understand, do they see a relationship with you or not, right? And what's the timeline? on that as well because someone could be like yeah i see a relationship with you in the future and it's like great when i'm 80 years old and dead like i don't know so you have to know the timeline as well what are you waiting for to make a decision so the next layer if you meet someone on hinge you could be like oh when you joined hinge what were you looking looking for and they might be like oh i was just looking for casual hookup then you could be like do you see us as that or do you see us as more Or if they say, I was looking for a relationship, you could say, do you see us heading in that direction? For this person, it sounds like they met through a friend group. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they met a different way and are now hanging out with friends. Friend group dynamics are a whole other situation. Other people are involved. How does that change for you? What would you say differently if it's within the friend group? I think it would be more along the lines of we've been on these dates, we've been hanging out, we've been hooking up. What? were you looking for when we first started and do you feel differently about that now that's a great way to expect this to happen the friends to lovers arc is a classic asking them if they expected it to happen can give you an into starting this conversation and also 
give you a basic view of their intentions. That's a nice, easy way to bring up a conversation. You're bringing up a conversation. You're not asking a question. I mean, you're asking a question, but it's not what are we? It's let's have a discussion about what we both want and where are we? I'll tell you what I would do and what I really recommend. But another way that if it's within the friend group, if you're friends with each other's friends or whatever, if you feel like really awkward and you want to kind of get around the honesty is to be like, oh, my gosh, Maddie was asking me what we are. It's not funny. Like, what do you think? Yeah. Everyone's asking me and it feels kind of funny that I don't know what to tell them. If you're in a friend group with this person, your friends all probably have thoughts and feelings. And so you can use that as an excuse to bring this conversation. It makes it feel casual of like, oh, yeah, I didn't really think about it either till so-and-so brought it up. Yeah, (laughs) Maybe you can still play the cool girl trope a little bit with that answer. (laughs) What I would do if it were me, and my real advice is I would say what I want and then wait for their reaction. Like, I've really enjoyed getting to know you. I've loved our dates. What I want is I see us working towards a relationship, and I would like to go on more dates together to see if there's anything there. I think using that wording, because it doesn't sound like she's even like, I'm going to marry this man tomorrow. It sounds like she's like, I just want to know where we are. I'm ready to go to the next step. You are still seeing whether or not you like them. So posing it as, I would like to spend more time together outside of our friend group, outside of hooking up to see if there's something there. You are still having the power. You are still saying to them, I'm still waiting to see if you're good enough for me. But what I want is to see if that could be there. So I would like to spend more time together in this situation. I would like to go in, like whatever it is, saying what you want and then seeing their reaction tells you everything. That's what I would say as well. I guess my point of view on it is if you like someone a lot, you really should just tell them. And I know that that goes against chill girl mentality, but I'm not chill. So no, screw not. the chill girl. Yeah. I, well, if you are chill, good for you. You're innately chill. Good for you. But I'm not chill. And if this person has been hooking up with me for two months, they know I'm not chill. And so I'm not <laughs> going to pretend to be something I'm not. And I'm not going to hide the way I feel. That's doing a disservice to me and that person. I totally agree with that. It really is about I think when you are accepting of your true emotions, of who you are, of your authenticity, you attract the right people to you and you like dispel the people that you wouldn't want. I've had that experience before where, especially through high school, through the first couple of years of college, I was so focused on, do they like me? I really wanted to feel like other people liked me, right? So I kind of was playing, playing a character. I knew how to like, like the music that I really someone else liked. I knew how to pretend like I like certain movies that were cool. I definitely was not telling boys that I only listen to Broadway and that I love a rom-com. I was not playing my truth here. I was very much the cool girl vibe. And after a breakup, I was just like, why am I doing that? Why am I more conscious of whether or not someone likes me than whether or not I like them? And Then I started being like so vocal to men like right away by being like, I don't listen to anything except Broadway. That's just the truth. Yeah. And and that's when I met Joey. And I had been so vocal about like, I'm the worst. I'm a vegetarian. I'm not cool. All these things that are such uh, anti-cool girl trope, I owned it. And then I had the best relationship I could have imagined. It's not even just about like 
be honest with how you feel. When you are honest with your feelings, when you're true to who you are, you are attracting the right people to you. Exactly. I feel the same way. I think if I've learned anything, I've learned that. (laughs) (laughs) And boy, have you. I've been in situations with friends where they keep waiting and waiting for this conversation to happen and it goes on for months and months. What would you say to a friend in that sort of situation or how would you deal with that? Yeah, a lot of people will put off this conversation or delay this conversation, not even because of the fear of the vulnerability it takes to bring this up, but more because they're afraid of what the answer is. And inherently somewhere they know they might not get the answer that they want. If you really like someone and you're hoping that their answer is, I really like you, I want to be in a relationship, but you know that there is a chance and there always is that they're going to be like, "Eh, don't really see a future with you. I'm good to keep hooking up. But if you're not, let's part ways. A lot of people will delay the conversation because they fear that answer. Whether or not you know, the person knows the answer to the question. The person already knows whether they see you as just a hookup, whether they want a relationship with you, whether they like you. They already know the answer, whether or not you have the conversation. So you deserve to know the answer too. The more that you get into it, the more time that passes that you're in this waiting period of hoping that they say something or hoping that things change the more hurt you will feel at the end. It's kind of delaying the inevitable. And the more you delay the inevitable, the more it hurts. So you might as well find out right now what answer is in their head because you deserve to know too. Yeah, I agree. Don't delay joy. The joy of being with the person or the joy of moving on. Don't delay that joy. All right. That was a great question. Just a reminder, if you want M&I to discuss your qualms, or answer any questions you have, you can DM us at the Evergirl Podcast on Instagram. This week's episode, you guys, oh my God, you guys are going to love this one. Today's guest is Brianna Wiest, who is the best-selling author of groundbreaking self-help books such as 101 Essays That Will Change the Way You Think, The Mountain Is You, The Pivot Year, and many more. It is one of the most inspiring conversations I think we've ever had, I would go so far as to say. We chat about the practices that Brianna relies on to live in what she calls an expanded state, how and why we should prioritize authenticity. And then she also shares the exercise that she calls consulting with your future self. She says that many people cry when she'll do this in her coaching. We also chat a lot about resolution. So this is a perfect episode for you guys to listen to right now. Brianna explains why we self-sabotage when working towards our goals. So consider this episode a masterclass in how to transform your mindset, live your best life, and achieve any goal. It's such a powerful one for the new year or any time that you're wanting to transform your life. So let's dive into it all. Please welcome Brianna Wiest to the Every Girl Podcast. A lot of your work is focused around changing mindsets, self-growth, healing. So why this focus? Were you always this in tune and wise? That's a really flattering way to phrase that. (laughs) I absolutely was not. I was probably like the least emotionally intelligent person ever. Reading and writing had always been a huge passion of mine since I was a little kid. I never ever in a million years thought I would be doing anything like this. But when I went to college and afterwards, I started going on my own 
personal growth journey, really. I don't know. There's no not cheesy way to phrase this. (laughs) I want to use the word like awakening, but like I really, really hesitate to even use that word because it sounds so trite and insincere for something that is so incredibly real to me and something that has been so profound for me and in my life. But it was really just a period of time where I was realizing that all of my wheels were just spinning in place. I just felt like I did not have the processing tools, not mentally nor emotionally, to understand relationships, work, or my own self, like to even navigate my own anxiety or whatever I was you know, dealing with. And so I started really turning to books. There was like a period of time between, I don't know, 2013 and 2017, where I seriously read every philosophy, psychology, <laughs> personal growth book that was released in Barnes and Noble. And at the time I couldn't afford to buy them. So I would just sit in the cafe and read them and put them back, which is really not allowed. So if anyone <laughs> works there, I'm so sorry. I promise you. No. Um, but I would buy a $2 cup of coffee and I would take notes in like a spiral notebook. And it was just this huge passionate interest of mine because what I realized was when I read something that was really inspiring and really profound, it would have this effect on me where it would almost lighten, I mean, literally physically lighten the load on my shoulders. I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean, I would literally feel like lighter, like my shoulders would relax and I'd be like, oh, I understand. And I'm not even talking about anything like that complicated, just like how to get through a breakup, how to develop a daily routine. I mean, I'm talking about like really simple stuff that I just did not have the software in my brain to do. And the more that I read, the more I was like, oh, I feel like I'm almost, again, I hate to use this phrase, like waking up. Like, I feel like I'm coming into a self-realization of like, oh, okay, I get it now. It's almost a process of learning to organize my feelings. So the more I read and the more I wrote, this is a really long answer. Am I getting that? No, I love it. Keep going. Okay. (laughs) So as I was writing and working, all of this started to just bleed out of me. I was like filling up journals every single morning. And over time, I started sharing it. I started writing articles. I didn't even have an Instagram for a long time. A lot of the stuff in 101 essays, like that was just like written in my journal just for my own self. And when I sit here now and I look back at it and everything that it has become, I think part of the magic is really that I'm not really that special of a person. I don't mean it in a negative way at all. Like I love myself. (laughs) I am okay, but like I'm really not special. I'm just a regular person trying to figure it out. And I think that people can pick up on that. And the reason why it becomes as popular as it has is because at at some level, we are all just human beings on the inside trying to figure it out. I found that when I would really practice, my morning meditation is really, really important to me. I do it every single day and really was intentional with being aware and conscious of how I was thinking and what I was doing and what I was saying and just trying to be more mindful with my life. My life started changing like a lot, a lot. And I started to realize that there are a billion things that I can't control that none of us can control. And if we only focus on those, we lose something. We lose something that we came here to do. And when we refocus on what can I do in this moment, how can I use everything I have, everything I've been given, what can I do with it? And then you kind of start to see a path forward. It was a really long answer. (laughs) But that's because you have so much good stuff to say. What I know a lot of people want to know 
for anyone who's successful, anyone that they look up to, anyone that they have seen go through a healing process that they want to get to the other side of as well. Everyone always wants to know, what was the turning point for you that allowed you to start becoming the person you're meant to be? And it sounds like for you, it was a combination of almost like being a sponge and absorbing all of this information and also giving yourself the stillness to reflect on your own self. Yeah. And I want to add on to that as well, simply learning to control what I could and figuring out what that even was. And then realizing that the more I focused on it, the more it expanded. And the more I realized, oh, there's so much that I can do with everything I already have and everything I already am. And I don't need to reach or stretch for it. It's the doors in the room, so to say. Oh, I'm bringing it down to like basics here. Can I take 10 minutes in the morning, even if I'm driving on a commute, to do some deep breathing? Something as simple as that. That is me taking control, even just for those 10 minutes of my nervous system and of my day. Now expand that outward and you're like, whoa, I really can contribute positively into the direction that my life goes. I know you mentioned the morning meditation being such a critical practice for you. Can you share some other daily tangible routines, habits, things that you do to allow you to stay in that place? Morning meditation is critical. So I'm just going to circle back to that really quickly because that's where I clear the mental slate for the day. I make my coffee every morning and I have a chair I sit in and sometimes I close my eyes and I'm doing an actual meditation. But a lot of the time I'm just sitting in quiet without my phone. That's very important. And what's really amazing is the ideas and thoughts that come through during that time would really astound you. I mean, as simple as like, oh, you should text that person. And then when I do it, they're like, oh, I was just thinking about you. Hey, I wanted to invite you to such and such a thing. Like uh, things like every day. The other really important things for me are nature and being outside and moving my body in a way that feels inspiring to me, not like I'm forcing it. So I really love nature walks. And I try to go outside and do a little hike or walk every day that I can. The other big day-to-day thing is curating my digital spaces, your, your apps, your social media, whatever you're on each day. It really is a tool and you're going to decide how you use it. So I am pretty intentional about the fact that I follow so many people who legitimately inspire me and make me feel strong and clear and give me all kinds of like soul food and brain food that for me being on my phone is not a negative experience. It's a really positive one. And that's been really, really important for me as well, because it's something that we're all on all the time. And I I don't see it becoming a less important part of our lives, though I think we do need to manage being off screens and like in, in real life, like for sure. Don't don't get me wrong. But like when you are on it, making sure that I'm really surrounding myself, even online with my expanders and the people who are stretching me. And it's all different kinds of people too. Like you would think it would only be like writers or authors, but I follow so many people who do like fashion for, you know, people that are shaped like me or house cleaning, cooking, just all kinds of stuff. So I really just try to stay surrounded by things that really make me feel good and that don't make me feel FOMO. Don't make me feel like I'm missing out on something. And the last thing I want to say is my close friends, my inner circle, they're a part of my life every day. Knowing who those people that are closest to you are, I think is critical and can often be overlooked. There are like layers to community, right? So there's your 
outer community, there's your environment. And then there's, again, the curate thing comes up again, that community that's closest to you. And these are people you are like really bonded with. They're kind of at the helm of your ship with you, whether you realize it or not. It's that thing of you become the five people you spend most time with or whatever. I think there's a really deep truth to that. And I would say that connecting with the people that mean the most to me every day is huge in keeping me grounded and feeling mentally healthy and like I'm moving forward. My takeaway from all that is you're so intentional in so many different areas, whether it's the people you surround yourself with, your social media, it all comes down to intention and being really aware of what's serving me and what isn't, who's serving me, who is not. I also really loved that you used the word expanded when you were talking about social media accounts and that there are certain accounts that allow you to feel expanded. That word is perfection. Chef's kiss. That is the best way to explain it because it is that feeling that it's so hard to tangibly explain. It's so hard to capture, but it's like that feeling when you're around certain people, when you're doing an activity, when you're seeing certain accounts on social media, you feel expanded rather than shrunken and rather than drained. And chef's kiss right back to you because you just summed up what I was trying to say so (laughs) concisely and eloquently than I did. I was like nodding. I was like, yeah, that's what I meant to say. The other thing about the people who inspire you and expand you that I've noticed is we often think that the people who are most inspiring are people who are extraordinary or who are doing extraordinary things. But I actually think the people we find the most inspiring are ordinary people doing the most with what they already have. And if you really start to pay attention to that, you're like, I get it. What feels so inspiring is you see a person who looks like you getting dressed. I'm just thinking of people I follow getting dressed with things you also have in your closet, but you wouldn't have thought to put it together that way. And you're like, oh, I could do that too. And I think there's like an essence of what expands us is that self-recognition of like, oh, I could do that too. I just feel like on a day-to-day basis, the things that really motivate me and the people who really expand me are the ones who I can see myself within. And I'm like, it doesn't feel so out of reach. I can re-enter my own life and I I could do that too. Yes. It's kind of like these, what seem to be small wins, but when you look at them under a microscope, you realize they're not so small. No, they're huge, right? Big things are little things just compounded upon one another. And when you, I call it reverse engineering your regret. So what I always think of is when I'm 90 years old, what will I regret that I had done or hadn't done when I look back at this time in my life? And then you start to break that down into what are the tiny micro shifts in my daily routine that would have to occur or need to occur in order for me to get to this bigger goal. And then you start to realize that all of the big things are just very, very tiny micro things that you do or don't do every single day. And then things start to feel a lot more approachable. And then it just becomes a process of figuring out, okay, well, what do I care about? What do I value? What matters to me? What do I feel called to and moved toward to create? Because another thing is, I think when we're too spread out, And we're trying to move in a hundred different directions at once. Our energy just gets divided up. The proportions are way too small. And then I feel like we don't get far on anything. So I feel like it's all about figuring out who do I want to be at the end of my life. When I look back, what do I want to say that I did? Who do I want to say that I was? Picking what those things are, those things you're really going to care about, letting go of the rest, and then breaking those things down into just your simplest daily routines and figuring out how you're going to integrate it into the life you already have. 
that's such a beautiful, helpful way to make goals feel tangible. Since January is that time of year when people have this fresh sense of motivation and inspiration and newness, we are so intentional about our January episodes and finding the most impactful guests possible for our listeners. And I think you are truly the ideal person to offer advice and inspiration for people looking to make those changes in their lives. So I love that you are already getting in that. In the introduction to your most recent book, The Pivot Year, you write, I hope this is the year you change your life, not in the superficial way, not in the way of moving things around on the surface and wondering why nothing feels much different underneath. I hope this is the year you change your life in the ways you have always secretly wanted to. This statement, I wanted to read it back to you because first of all, absolutely beautiful, but I loved it because you perfectly summarize both the problem with this obsession with goal setting and New Year's resolutions and looking ahead, but then also what can be so beautiful with the beginning of a new year, a fresh start, setting goals. What did you mean by the superficial way? What is that superficial way that someone might be hoping to change their life? That's a really good question. I think that there is a vulnerability in you getting honest with who you actually want to be and the things you actually want to do. And for me, it was coming to terms with the fact that my only real goal was to be at peace every day. And I know if you're listening to this and you think that's too easy, that's a cop-out goal. That's not a real goal. Okay, you try to be at peace every day, like genuinely. You try to have even one hour of pure peace every day and then you tell me how easy that is. What I realized was like you can accomplish anything and everything in the universe. And what's really going to matter is do you wake up every morning? And I said, saying this to my own self, do I wake up every day and am, am I excited for the day ahead? That's my goal. That's under the umbrella of peace to me, which is acceptance and meaning. All those things go together for me. To me, that is what it is to be truly at peace with myself and my life. Do I wake up every day and am I excited for this day ahead? And then what I realized was the more I went through it, and the more I tried to visualize and make goals that seem big on the outside, the more I had to break it down and realize that things that I actually wanted were so simple and so small, I was almost totally overlooking them because I didn't think they were important because I thought they were stupid because they didn't matter. You know, all these things I had in my head about what my life should be. And it applies in so many ways. And as writers, you know, what is it to be a serious, like real writer, you know, all that stuff that I just had to let go of completely and think, what does it look like to wake up and feel so inspired that I pull out my journal and I am just in flow? And it's these experiences that sometimes you can't quantify or show other people. And sometimes that progress will be really invisible. And so you have to be your own validation system. Like, you're going to have to be the one that affirms this for you. There's no one next to me being like, good job. Like, you did it. So what I mean by that is if you're going to make an intention to make a change, and listen, this is way harder than it sounds, you getting really clear and connected to what you actually want that to be and releasing yourself from the shame, from the judgment, really the things we actually care about are the ones we want to protect. They're the ones that we want to shield. And so sometimes it can be easier to come up with goals that we're like a little more detached from. I actually say this about writing all the time. 
because being an author in this way was not like a primary goal of mine. I, I like doing it, but it wasn't like the thing I upheld, like I want to be this kind of author. But because that was the case, it really freed me up to create and actually create something meaningful for me. Now, my challenge is to do that in the areas of life that I have upheld, right? Like in relationships and my sense of self, travel, whatever else it was, and to let go a little bit. And to say, it's okay to want what you really want. It's okay to become who you actually want to be. Everyone listening, you know who that actually is. And you'll know it because you could become 25 different versions of yourself and something's never going to feel quite right until you're living in that like actual, sometimes simple and sometimes invisible truth of who you are. And it's not about anybody else seeing it or even affirming it or even knowing about it necessarily. It's about you are the person you have to go to sleep with every night at the end of the day. The moment you are born till the moment you die, it's you and you. And so you are the one who has to be okay with you. I love that reflection so much. I, I feel like what we so often get wrong when it comes to goal setting or New Year's resolutions this time of year is we're doing what we think we're supposed to do, what we think will make us happy, will make us healthy. It's like the I want to work out every day. I want to eat healthy. I want to have a three-hour morning routine and wake up at 5 a.m. And like we have this idea of what we think we're supposed to do. And so those are typically the goals that people set. But when there's not the truth behind it, when it's not, this is getting me closer to my most authentic, beautiful version of my life, my life, not the ideal life that's shiny and pretty on Instagram, but my life, it will never stick. That is how you change your life is when you realize the life that is most authentic and most beautiful to you. Not the pretty shiny life, but the one that feels truest for you. Yes. And I want to add to that as well. <laughs> this took me longer than it should have to figure out. But your authenticity is you choosing what you actually like, like what you actually like, not what you think you're supposed to like. Yes. What you like. Everything from how you arrange your house to the clothes you wear to the things you do on the weekend to, for me, the way that I write or what I write or whatever it is, you are your own litmus test. You have to actually like it. I know it sounds really oversimplified, but no, that's hard. That is really hard. I mean, look at our culture's obsession with trends. The culture, celebrities, influencers is saying, this is cool. So everyone else is saying, okay, I nod in agreement. And I think it's cool because you tell me it's cool. Right. Rather than this inner sense of knowing this is something I love and my passions, my loves, my taste can change, but it's about what I want. It's about how do I look to myself? How do I feel to myself rather than how does other people perceive me? How does this outfit look on Instagram? How does my home look? It's like, are you happy being in your home? Are you happy being in that outfit? Even those things that feel almost surface level, like we're talking about, you know, aesthetics and trends and it feels surface level, but I completely agree with you that it's a ton of little ways how you're telling yourself what you deserve. And when you stop and say to yourself, do I love this? Am I really interested in this trend? Or is it just because I think that this is what's cool? So I'm trying to be cool, but I don't actually like truly love it. It doesn't really feel like me. Then you're telling yourself to ignore your authenticity, to go with the grain. And that is probably doing a lot more damage than we realize. It's leaving your life empty. So you have a beautiful picture on the surface and it feels like nothing beneath. And the questions that you can start asking yourself is like, 
When you get dressed in the morning, do you actually like that? Or are you putting that on because, well, that's what everyone's wearing or that's what you're supposed to wear or it'd be so uncool or to wear the thing you really want to wear. The reason why all of this matters so much is because your relationship with yourself is setting a foundation. It is setting a foundation for how you interact with everyone and every other thing in your life. You can use these everyday things as a tool not to step away from yourself, but to come closer to myself, to create pockets of things that I find beautiful and to recognize that fear that makes you want to bury yourself and, you know, instead adapt to what you think other people want or what other people would say is okay. Can you recognize that fear and then move beyond it? Because I think that's your homecoming. That's you taking the first steps into creating a life that, you know, at the end of the day, what are the things you most fondly remember? Most of the time, they are the smallest little things that were the huge things in disguise. I actually love that concept with setting New Year's resolutions or intentions because we so often go into the new year thinking, what should I accomplish? What do I feel like I should do to be better rather than what should I do or what should I change? It's like in one year from now, 2025, what will I look back and be like, those were the highlights of my year? What can I look back at and say, I'm so proud of myself for that, or I loved that, or that made my whole year, that was the highlight. I feel like those should be our resolutions, right? Like who's going to look back in 2025 and be like, thank God I worked out more often. Maybe, maybe you might feel like, oh, I feel really good. Like, sure, great, then do that. But you're not really going to be like, the highlight of my year was adding another strength training to my weekly rotation. It's going to be like, I took this amazing trip. I did this thing that I was scared to do, but I finally did it. I launched the business that I've always wanted to launch. I got rid of those living beliefs and I did it. Like those are the things that you really are going to be proud of. So why not focus our New Year's goal setting, intentions, whatever you want to call it, on what's going to feel good to us when we look back at this year? Yeah. In my book, The Mountain is You, I talk about this. You think you're looking for a breakthrough and what you're really looking for is a micro shift. So when you identify those things that would bring your life the most meaning and beauty, and sometimes you can look at that and be like, oh, this feels like an Everest I'll never get over. You break it down into what is the micro shift that I can do every single day. Um, This helped me so much in my life. I'm not even kidding you. When I wanted to drink more water, I would just take an extra sip. When I wanted to start going to the gym, I would make myself go for five minutes. I would go walk on the treadmill for five minutes. That was it. That was the only thing I was asking of myself. And then after like two times of doing that, I was like, all right, I can stay for longer than five minutes. I'll just try 10 minutes. Okay. Well, I can do that. And then it kind of grows and you get into the routine of it. And then the real magic happens when you start to crave it. Anything new, no matter how good for you, is going to be uncomfortable until it's also familiar. There's a really popular quote, we will always choose a familiar hell over an unfamiliar heaven. Wow. And so a lot of this growth and a lot of, I would say, goal setting and intention setting really does need to be built around how do I bring myself into the comfort zone that will actually move me forward in life. And I don't just mean forward, like in a general sense, I mean like toward the things that will bring me the most beauty and meaning and truth. And to you, those are the micro shifts, like you said, of realizing what those things are, but making them very tangible, small, doable. Having one sip of water, five minutes on a treadmill, that's how you get there is doing those micro shifts. I I really believe so. Yes. If you think about writing a book, 
I'm like, I can't write a book. It just seems so overwhelming. Can you write one paragraph every day? Could you write one sentence every day? And you're like, well, yeah, I could do that. Once you start to get into the routine of doing that over and over and over again without even trying, you are writing paragraphs and then chapters. And then these things are coming to fruition in your life. And all because it started with this one tiny, tiny seed of change. All great change starts with these very small things that compound on themselves sometimes. It's like compounding interest for your soul. <laughs> oh my God. You have the best little phrases for things. I mean, duh, because you're a writer, but like, wow. Your book, The Mountain Is You, I think it's an amazing book for this time of year. It's interesting because it explains and gives a lot of insight into why people do have these resolutions and goals and then self-sabotage so that they don't actually put the action in and reach the goals. So I want to dive into this one a little further. Why do you say that a mountain stands in the way between you and your best self? When you are approaching a mountain, like what seems like a big challenge in your life, the only way over it is not overcoming the mountain itself, but actually adjusting the way you climb it, basically adjusting your approach. What's happening in moments of self-sabotage is you're having a conscious desire conflicting with an unconscious need. So basically the self-sabotaging behavior is meeting an unconscious need. And until you figure out what that need is, until you sit with yourself for long enough and ask yourself, what does this do for me? What is this contributing to me? What is this making me feel better about? What comfort does this bring? What relief does this bring? Until you can identify that and then find a different way to meet that need, it's going to feel like you're just running up against a wall. And then I think what a lot of people do is, you start to get down on yourself. You start to think there's something wrong with you. You start to think that I just don't have enough willpower. I'm just not strong enough. Like I just have to, you know, push through it. And the reason why that does not work, in my opinion, is because the more you try to push through, the more the child inside of you, whose usually basic core needs are being met by that self-sabotaging behavior, feels more and more rejected and abandoned by you. And so the problem intensifies. I love that you bring up the word willpower. It is literally my least favorite word in the English language. I hate it. When people say I don't have willpower, I, I always want to go against that and be like, why do you think it's a fault of yours? You're not this inherently bad, lazy person that has no willpower as if willpower is this thing that we're supposed to have that makes us do things that are uncomfortable. There's a lot of ways that our brain tries to keep us comfortable. So I love the way that you explain this. And I think it does totally help people stop from that self-hatred that they get into when they didn't reach their goal, when right. their resolution isn't working out and they start to get down on themselves and they start to say, well, it's because I'm lazy and it's because I don't try hard enough or it's because I'm not a good person. It's like you tie your worth to not reaching that goal. And so there's actually a reason why this is happening. And it's not because you're at fault. It's not because you're lazy. I think not only allows people to then shift how they're climbing the mountain so they can actually overcome the mountain, but allows them to do so compassionately. I just want to add something to the last thing you said because it's just resonating so deeply. The other thing about self-sabotage sometimes is I think that it acts as a redirect from the things that we don't actually want. For anyone listening, this might also be affecting you at some level. There were so many years in which I would sit down to try to write a book or try to write an essay or a po whatever I was working on. And I couldn't make it come out. 
for a while, I was like, no, you just need to like push through and make yourself do it. And I couldn't, and I couldn't, and I couldn't. I rewrote The Mountain Is You, I don't even know, three, four, five times. I can't even tell you until I got it right. That was the book I wanted to write. This is the thing that I wanted to do. But the way that I was doing it was not it. Like it wasn't coming out the right way. And that's what was stopping me. So it wasn't actually my lack of willpower or discipline or talent or motivation that was stopping me. It's my approach that was stopping me. And so I like kind of wiped the slate clean a bunch of times. And you can just, you know, as you're listening to this, apply it to literally anything in your life. And I didn't give up. And I kept wiping the slate clean and starting again until I found the approach that first inspired me, the spark that lit the fire. And then there is a little bit, I would say, of routine. I would use the word routine over discipline that creates the kindling that keeps the fire burning, so to say. And you're coming back to it over and over again. And now when I sit down to write, I can easily access that flow space because it's a muscle I've strengthened with time. But my entryway into strengthening that muscle was following my intuition of what brought me into flow. So I eventually did write that book, but I did it in a completely different way than I had originally set out to do. And I think in a better timing and in a way that ultimately I'm way happier with how it turned out now. So sometimes when we're hitting a wall, sometimes there's a need that's not being met, but other times we need to change the way we're going. It doesn't mean that you're not going to get to your goal. It just means you've got to follow those little glimmers to bring you there, to bring you into those flows. Because I think that everything in life that you're really after, whether it's love, relationships, exercise, creativity, anything, the best of it comes when you've strengthened your muscles around your flow states. So would an example of this be if someone makes the goal that they want to, for example, go to the gym five times a week and they find that they are not doing it no matter what, they just can't get themselves to actually hit that goal. What your recommendation would be is looking at that and being like, well, what do I really want out of it? Is that goal actually serving me? So maybe what I really want is not necessarily going to the gym five times a week. It's actually feeling really strong in my body. And there are many other ways to do that. And let me look at a different way that I can make myself feel strong in my body. Maybe it's a different type of exercise. Maybe it's going for a walk and doing weights at home because that feels easier. And so it's finding different ways to get to the real end goal, not the goal that we think that we're set, but like the real end goal. 100%. It's breaking it down to say, okay, this isn't working. Why? Is it the frequency? Is this five days just exhaust you? Is it the nature of what you're doing just feels so uninspiring and not fun to you that you don't want to keep going back? Can you find something else to do that will make you active that is enjoyable because then you're going to want to keep doing it? Is it the exact gym you're going to? Do you want to go to a different one? Do you want to do it at home? Like there are so many avenues to get to your true end goal. And none of them have to be you forcing yourself to do something that is just not in alignment. And again, that doesn't mean give up. It just means how is this perceived failure trying to move me in another direction? I also am a health coach and I tell my clients this all the time. If a goal does not work out, the problem is not you. The problem is the goal. So you just have to change what the goal is to get to the outcome you actually want. Yes. Something else that you talk about that I'm so intrigued by is asking your future self for help. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what this looks like? So this is an exercise I started doing years ago, and it was one of the most powerful to this day I've ever done. I do this actually when I do talks with groups. It's one of my favorite things to do at the end. I make them close their eyes and go through this and to watch people's reactions. 
you, you imagine that you're sitting in a room and you're in a chair and then your highest potential future self walks into the room and sits across from you and you speak to them and you observe them and you look at them and you evaluate them. What you're actually doing with this thought exercise is you're accessing a, a part of your brain that you don't normally. I think you are accessing a, a level of your higher consciousness that you're not really operating in in your day-to-day -day life. When you can conceive of who you want to be or could be in the future. And by the way, this thing, this person is malleable. This person is going to be built by the things you do now. So they're not like a set thing. But when you start envisioning, what would my 40-year-old self do? My best possible 50-year-old self. And I think the most powerful one of all is truly imagine yourself, if you are lucky enough to get there, 90 years old, you're at the end of your life. And you're looking back and you're saying, show me my most fulfilled, my most happy, my most blissfully happy 90-year-old self. What did that person do with all of the years in between now and there? Again, it's the reverse engineering your regret thing. You're looking to the future, zooming out and just kind of looking at the big picture. Do people get emotional when you walk them through this exercise? Uh, yes. They all have their eyes closed. They can't see each other. But I would say people, like, I mean, they hold their knees. They're crying so hard. And when they open their eyes, it just makes me smile. Like it is unbelievable to watch them meet themselves in a way that they maybe never have before. Mm -hmm. It does make you emotional because it reconnects you with the truth of life, what you came here to do. You know what I mean? You start exiting and withdrawing yourself from all the nonsense, all the noise, all the stuff that's holding you back. And you start really, really connecting with the truth of who you came here to be and what you came here to do and what actually matters to you. Do you use this exercise like a consistent check-in that you, like you said, are zooming out on the big picture? Or can you apply it? For example, if there's something you don't know the answer to, if it's like, do I leave this relationship or this job or whatever it is, and I don't know what I should do, you're taking that time to ask your future self for help in that way? Is it for setting goals? I think you can do it however feels right to you. But I'll say that for my own self, that is something I employ when I need to make a decision. Part of the exercise that I do with groups as well is like part of the thing I was describing. There's actually two versions of your future self that you meet. I'm giving it all away on this podcast. <laughs> but you know what? You guys use it, enjoy it, and, and I hope it's helpful to you. So there's actually two versions of yourself that you meet in this guided meditation that I do. And the one version of your future self is who you become if you don't change anything, if you mm -hmm. stay exactly as you are right now. And then the next one you meet is the highest potential future self, specifically the difference between those people. I mean, people have told me some wild stories afterwards. They're like, you know, when you said meet the person you become, if you don't change anything, this one woman was like, there was no one there. I wasn't going to make it. Wow. I was like, you will die if you stay on this path. I don't want to give anything further away, but you know, she's definitely on a journey of her own. And that was her wake up call. And then the potential future self that she met, had she made the changes, she was not only healed, healthy, thriving, and sober, she had actually become a, a, a coach, a sobriety coach, and had helped dozens of other young women through what she was going through. And her eyes were clear and she shook my hand and gave me a hug and said, I know what to do. And then her why of her healing also became this bigger picture of who she was meant to help in this life. I've heard from her since and she went on to go do exactly that. Wow. When you just said that she hugged you and said to you, I know what to do. 
And it took that one exercise for most people, for myself, being in times of trouble or challenge, you feel like you don't know what to do. And that's the biggest thing. You have no idea how to get there. You feel like you want to get healthier, get better, leave your relationship, leave your job. You know what you want the outcome to be, but you don't know what to do. So the fact that she came to you and said, not only do I feel motivation to change, but I know what to do. Mm -hmm. That is powerful. So powerful. What better motivation is there than that? Like, screw (laughs) willpower. People are still out here talking about willpower when you're like, look at your future self. Oh my gosh, Brianna, I could keep talking to you forever. I'm going to stop myself now, wrap up with some rapid fire questions. First question for you, your 2024 era in one word. Oh, this is such a good question. I I know it's hard. Blossoming. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, I kind of want to steal that and make you it. Got it. Yours, you got it. It's yours too. I love it. It's going to be both of ours. Okay. Blossoming. 2024 is our year we blossom. I think that's for all, every girl's, it's going to be the year that we're blossoming. Yes. Your favorite affirmation? Every day and every way I'm getting better and better. Best piece of advice you've ever received? You know what the right thing is to do. It's about finding the courage to do it. That is so true. Last question. A book that changed your life, obviously, besides your own. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Can you imagine if I listed my own? People have done that. And I'm like, I get it. I get like, if you're pouring your heart and soul into the book, I get it. Oh, damn it. Wait, now, now I sound like a hater. Okay, no. no. <laughs> and listen, your books are the answer to this question for a lot of people. And that's why I'm extra curious as the author of books that have changed people's lives. I want to know what are the books that changed your life? Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed. I read it in 2012, 2013, somewhere around there. And I really believe that that book taught me how to think like the most empathetic, self-actualized, empowered woman that I could be. And I owe her my life. What a sell. That is, that's moving up on my reading list. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I have one more. I have one yeah, more. Tell me. It's, 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 it is critical. The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. I've heard great things about that. I reference it in The Mountain is You. The whole book is about your upper limit and basically that we have a saturation point for happiness or good feeling. And when we go past it, we self-sabotage back into the comfort zone. And I am not kidding you. Everywhere I go, I I mean, I am not lying to you. I've been on stages where I've made everyone take out their phone and order this book. (laughs) And I like got off and was like, you have to promote your own books. You're like, oh, right, right. That's was, what we're okay. here. I'll get to that after you all read The Big Leap and tell me about it because, oh, my God. All right. That. All right. I literally I might have to cancel my weekend plans and spend yes, it reading. You do. Yes, okay. you do. Yes, you do. Great. I'm sold. I'm absolutely sold. And Brianna, where can everyone find your books, find you, social channels, all the details? Instagram.com. That old thing. <laughs> That old thing has <laughs> Brianna Weiss, just my name. And then the link in my bio has the link to my books, my merch, my podcast, everything. And definitely go there because there are so many fakes and dupes on Amazon nowadays. So definitely go to the links that I and other creators provide you because you are buying directly from us and our publishers and not getting fake copies. And if someone is new to you, which I really don't think anybody is new to you at this point anymore. But if someone is, which book should they start with? They're like, whatever calls to to each person. Oh, well, that's actually the right answer. You weren't even, <laughs> I was like, the mountain is you. But 
You actually gave the genuine answer, which is whatever you intuitively feel drawn to in that moment is is the book for you. But if I was to give a recommendation, I would say The Mountain Is You. Okay. I would agree with that recommendation. Rihanna, thank you so much for joining us. This conversation, I mean, you were like my soul sister. So thank you for having this conversation with me. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I know I sure did. If this episode gave you any value or you're liking the show in general, please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really makes a huge difference for our show so we can keep growing and bringing the content that you love. If you want more info, you can find us at The Evergirl Podcast on Instagram or theevergirlpodcast.com. Talk to you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.